Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cray America. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. Today, today was a classic. I mean, we start off with a tough NASDAQ sell-off, right? And that quickly bled over to the larger averages almost instantly. I'm not kidding. Within 15 minutes of the opening, we heard that the bull... Last legs. That's right. And here comes the big unwind as large cap tech starts rolling over. We were then told, of course, that the multi-month rally was bogus all along. Just a short squeeze because the Fed's going to crush us again the next time it tightens. We were told the market was about to get its comeuppance. Yet it didn't. As the day goes on, much of the chagrin of the chattering classes, the F- <laughs> we had a rally. Dow finishing up 100 points. S&P gains 0.33%. NASDAQ, yep, up 0.28%, even though it looked real ugly in the morning. I got to tell you, I actually am getting sick of the daily bull obituaries. And I once wrote obituaries for a living. It's almost like these critics think the stock market is one giant bullfight. I don't know if you've ever been to one, but the bull fares very badly at the end. Look, I know it seems crazy that the Fed could raise interest rates so rapidly, yet we, we haven't had a truly horrific decline in stocks. I mean, a year ago, we had 0.5% Fed funds rate. Right now it's around 5%. That's an insane move. The conventional wisdom says we should have been obliterated by this. The entire market should have been destroyed by it. And for the most of last year, I mean, that was the story. Not since October, though. Ever since we put in a bottomless October, we simply haven't had that kind of total annihilation you would have expected. In fact, it's been the opposite. Every time we have a minor sell-off, new sectors go bullish, not bearish. It's as if the bull's been crushing the matador constantly, not the other way around. Yet the matador dusts himself off and gets right back in the ring the next day, acting like he'll win no matter what. Sure, you can point to the individual battles that were lost by the bull, and there have been some very difficult battles. I mean, we know, for instance, there were nearly 400 IPOs launched in 2021, many of which were disasters, just roadkill. Lots of these stocks collapsed, especially the recently christened household names of Warby Parker, Allbirds, Weber, Sweetgreen. They crushed yeah. Then there were the SPACs. That was a curious class of ripoffs, right, which were an abomination. 
According to Renaissance Capital, about half of the post spacs, the money pools that became operating companies in the last couple of years, are now trading below two bucks. That is a shameful, disgusting, vicious loss. And it tended to hurt the least prepared or most easily bamboozled. I'd argue that there was never a SPAC bull market in the first place. Just some weird animal that should never even have been allowed in the ring. So many of the hopeful new cloud software companies that came public with great ambitions, they're now in shambles. Something that shocked the venture capital community to the point where they killed their favorite bank. Any tech company that didn't pivot from focus on revenue growth to a focus on actual earnings has been kicked to the curb. They laid you to waste. How about the decapitation of biotech stocks? I can't even talk about most of them because they're just too small to mention on air, with some rare exceptions like Prometheus Bioscience, which has now made you a fortune thanks to a gigantic takeover bid from Merck. We'll on that later. But still, those losses didn't kill the bull. Most important, the return you're now getting for doing nothing with your money has exploded higher. I just learned that I can get a 4.15% interest rate if I open an Apple savings account to go with my Apple card. That's much better than the yield on most stocks. Who needs the roller coaster nightmare of the market where you can get such a great return from cash, correct? I mean, isn't that bearish? Yet it hasn't been able to stop the bull either. I'm pretty confident that tomorrow will be no different. The Matador Bears will come out and they'll be stampeded by the bulls again. But the commentators will tell you to keep betting on the bullfighter, not the bull itself. We've had to endure the drumbeat that we're only a day away from a collapse. How many times? Come on. That the selling in some big cap stocks means we're at the beginning of a monster decline. The one we've all been waiting for, fearful of. The one that's been afforded by the inversion of the yield curve. How many times have you heard that? Where short rates are higher than the long rates. Admittedly, a very bad sign. Yeah, as it has been since October. So we have to ask ourselves, why does this negative rhetoric have such a grip on us? Why do the bears seem to have such gravitas every single time, even though they've been wrong for six straight months? Because of the R word, that's why, recession. You just can't defeat their prognosis no matter what happens. The bears won't let the facts get in the way of a real negative story. Which brings me to what really drives me nuts about this discourse. Every single commentator who is interviewed, almost every, okay, in any form is asked in this following way, not about companies, but what the Fed will do. They don't even know what companies are. Then no matter what the answer, the next question relates to a recession. If the experts say the Fed's going to stay in path, they're then asked, is that because we're going to a recession already? If the expert says the Fed will hit us with another quarter point rate hike, they're asked, won't that cause a recession? If they're really bearish and say the rates will stay higher for longer, then they're asked immediately, how deep will the recession be? And that is a litany. It's what keeps people out of this market, causing them to miss out on some moves and the upside, like a Prometheus, oh, like a lot of the biotech, like a lot of the techs today that were down badly in the middle of the day. Never mind. The rates have gone from near zero to 5% in a little over a year. It still hasn't been enough to kill this economy or the stock market since October. Now, I was hoping things might be different after Friday when three major banks, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, and JP Morgan, all reported excellent quarters and saw no degradation of any major lending unit. Commercial real estate, considered to be the next housing crisis, actually seemed pretty darn good. Auto loans, home loans, commercial loans, all much better than you would have expected. If you didn't know better, you'd think we're in a normal, consistent expansion with some clouds here and there, but nothing that more, nothing worse. Hey, today I thought I came in very worried. Charles Schwab, huge broker, big bank inside, would be a disaster with money pouring out of every orifice to the point where the Fed might need to put them on life support. No, just the opposite. Schwab had a pretty good quarter. Sure, they paused their buyback, but I like the number. Certainly nothing that could explain the hideous decline in the stock since the mini banking crisis got rolling. Somehow, whatever positive number we get is turned into a negative. A strong Empire State Manufacturing Survey this morning was regarded as another arrow in the quiver of the bear. A decline in bad housing loans this evening, literally fewer defaults, gets dismissed as a foolish prelude to more weakness. 
it doesn't matter what we see in the data or the earnings. It's always viewed through a bearish prism because we're always shadow boxing with the recession that might never even come. I would prefer a different narrative, something like this. The Fed's engineering a slower economy where inflation is coming down faster than the fall off in economic activity. We're getting decent numbers without a lot of layoffs or defaults. But some prices are going down for a bunch of categories and others are getting softer. Why isn't that the storyline? I've been in this racket. I've been in the journalism racket and I've been in the stock market racket for a long time. Let me tell you why. Because it's boring. If you're chasing eyeballs, if you're trying to get people to read your paper, The word recession makes for a much better headline. Bottom line, get ready for the next set of positive numbers to be ignored. Ready yourself for the absence of positives from tomorrow's big bank numbers, even as I think they're going to be pretty darn good. That's just how this nascent bull market's worked since it slayed the bear last fall. It's the perfect setup. I just can't get anyone, save maybe some investment club members, to believe in it. Kyle in New Jersey. Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Kyle from Ocean City, New Jersey. How you doing, Jim? Ocean City. The dry Ocean one? City, Love man. it. What's going on? Sunny and 80 here in Ocean City. Listen, I have been holding Uber for ever, and it's driving me nuts. Do I have horse sense or do I have no sense? No, no, Uber we're going to be fine. In. I, actually, honestly, I mean, Uber 32, it's pretty good. And when they say Uber technologies, they mean it. They actually have a lot of data they haven't even begun to mine yet. I think Uber's great. Darius always invited on the show. I mean, like, nine, nine day, eight, nine days a week he's allowed to come on the show. Let's go to Mike in Connecticut. Mike. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. This company I'm talking about has got a, mar- a market cap of $5 billion. It's got a debt of six, $625 million. However, the current ratio is 0.39. The quick ratio is 0.20. With all the class action suits lining up against it, does Dutch Bros save for the future, or should I sell? Oh, the Dutch Bros. Man, you got a regional and national story that is doing incredibly well. The class action suits, i got to tell you, I think are nonsense. I feel that Dutch Bros is one of the better long-term stories in this market. It reminds me of Five Below five years ago. That's what I have to say. All right, we keep hearing about the, maybe like three years ago, we keep hearing about the impending doom for this market. But if you're listening to these naysayers, you're missing out on some very big moves higher or you're blind to them. I don't like that. Man, money time. Kim Kardashian is called InMode Products her fave treatment to get her abs in order. But as a new class of weight loss drugs takes the market by storm, is the under-the-radar medical device player's beauty only skin deep? I got the CEO. Then, with early season upon us, how is the market shaping up for the back half of the year? I'm going off the charts. Find out. Could be a surprise. And a big biotech buy. Merck paying $11 billion for Prometheus Biosciences, one of our favorites. I got the exclusive with both CEOs fresh off the announcement. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visited visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. Sometimes this business is hard, but sometimes it's easy. Two weeks ago, we turned in some homework on a couple of names that I got in questions about, one of them being InMode, an aesthetics-focused medical device company. I told you I liked it. Profitable company, clean balance sheet, cheap stock, but I didn't expect that call to work out so quickly. Last Wednesday, InMode pre-announced a sharply better than expected quarter, sending the stock up 5% single session, and it's now up more than 15% since I told you it was worth buying at the end of March. Could it have more upside? Earlier today, we had a chance to speak with Moshi Mizrahi. He's the chairman and CEO of InMode. Take a look. Mr. Mizrahi, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Welcome to be here. Well, I am telling you, it's obvious that you're taking the world by storm. You pre-announced some great numbers. What do you think is really driving the much better than expected situation that Wall Street was certainly surprised about? Well, I believe it's all about the company and the technology. Actually, we brought a new technology to the medical aesthetic field. I'm sure you know that medical aesthetic for more than 40 years associated uh, with laser. Laser, it's an optical energy. Laser cannot penetrate deep. So we came up with a technology which is based on bipolar energy, which can go as deep as we want. Laser can do topical treatment, hair removal, pigmentation, vascular lesion, maybe acne, maybe some fine line. But laser cannot do face and body reshaping. The only way to do face and body reshaping is the way to treat all level of the skin, all the way to the subdermal fat. And that's the technology, the bipolar RF that we developed. And this is why we are so strong and people would like very much to get the treatment with our equipment. Well, one of the things, we're going to talk about Eva Longoria and, and Kim Kardashian in a second, but I, I love the NFL, and I happen to love Dalvin Cook. I happen to love Juju. Uh, These guys are great athletes. They are in the shape of their lives. Why would someone who is in incredible shape still want in mode? Because, because you know, people today 
not want to go to do, a, you know, a full surgical procedure because full surgical procedure associated with the uh, full, full anesthesia, hospitalization, downtime. So demographic between 35 and 65 or 65 years old who wants to get surgical results, but they do not want to go to a full surgical procedure, prefer to do it minimally invasive in the office of the doctor under local anesthesia. Even people under 35 or 45 years old can do that. They don't have to wait until they're 60 years old to do a full surgical procedure. This is the reason we call it the treatment gap. Demographic of between 35 and 65 would hesitate and do not have the, camp, the money to go to a full surgical procedure. We give them the solution. Well, let's talk about that. I think people don't realize that I mean, yes, I mean, your insurance company may be reluctant to pay, but the fact is that those other procedures cost a fortune and are cash pay. Yours is dramatically less, and the dermatologists love it because they can do a lot of patients and not have a lot of worry that there could be something really serious go wrong. That's correct. That's correct. The system that we have developed is very safe. The system is something that allows the doctor to do the treatment in its own clinic during lunchtime. And maybe the downtime is less than a few hours. That's something that people would like very much to have. And not going into some kind of procedure which costs fortune and will take them 14 days to, of downtime and will take them into a full anesthesia and everything that associated with them. The minimal invasive technology today is the only solution for those people. People who want to spend, you know, a few thousand dollars and not $20,000. People who want to do it in, a, you know, twice every five or six years and not to go to something which, you know, they have to save money for a few years before they're able to do. Now, let's talk about people who can afford it. I guess there must be great social influencers, uh, Kim Kardashian, Eva Longoria. Now, again, we associate these people with, with, with uh, their great wealth, but also, of course, their beauty. And they uh, obviously love your product. Now, they're just out there saying good things about it. How did that come about? Well, uh, I don't know if, uh, if you talk with Paula Abdul. She used to be our brand ambassador. You know, she's 60 years plus. So the way she looked after the treatment with Imod just make her look younger and feel younger. So, and uh, Eva is not young. Eva is in the 40s. And Eva looks like 25 years old. And this is all based on our technology. Okay, so I mean, InMode is not, uh, it's not like a drug that they're taking. Are they just, are they able, are you able to, are they, can you remunerate them? Are you allowed to say, listen, we'll pay you this to do a social? Well, uh, uh, well, it depends. Kim Kardashian, who threw, went through our, uh, our technology treatment, we did not pay her. She said this is a breakthrough technology when she got the treatment from her doctor. We didn't know about it. But for a brand ambassador who works with us for a full year, yes, we pay them. All right. That's now look. The last thing I want to ask you, Needham, a, a research firm, said that they thought that there were signs that your business was slowing uh, to 20 percent down from 29 percent. I'm not so sure that's the case. Is your business has your business been slowing of late? No, not at all. If you look on Q1 2023 results, one hundred and six million dollars in revenue. 
That's 24% above Q1 2022. Q1 is usually the slowest uh, quarter of the year. The fourth quarter is the strongest one. I don't think we're slowing down. And you know what? There's another measure to test it. And this is the consumable. The consumable which doctor use, it's a one-time consumable per treatment. Every year, we double the numbers of consumable that we're selling. What that mean? That means that the doctor loves the system and more people want to, be, want, to, want to get the treatment. I mean, we are now over a million procedures every year that, and we know that because we are selling the disposable bell treatment. Well, that's terrific. I know that our viewers, we get calls about you all the time, and I think it's because it's a fascinating company, but a lot of people want to, to look better without any sort of danger that is associated with a facelift, with a lot of surgical. So I want to thank you, uh, Moshi Mizrahi, Chairman and CEO of InMode, for coming on our show and being responsive because, boy, do we have people interested in your company. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Mad Moon is back here to the break. Coming up, earnings season is upon us. How's the market shaping up for the back half of the year? Stick with Kramer. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Now that earnings season is in full swing, I keep reminding you that we've got a real good setup here because the expectations are very low. Despite this market's incredible rally from the bottom last fall, Wall Street, as I explained at the top of the show, remains enormously bearish right now. People just don't believe this move can last. Hey, by the way, some deny the move altogether. But their very skepticism is what I think gives, well, gives you the fuel for a rally much higher. But I don't want you to take it from me. Let me give you the numbers backing up this thesis as we go off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's that brilliant technician I talk about, who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, which is a book that will put all this in English if you're ever confused. As Garner points out, sometimes market positioning matters more than the fundamentals. What we regard as a bad quarter when everybody's bullish can look like a good quarter when everybody's bearish. And the expectations are already down on the floor here. Think about how oil and gas both peaked last year, just when everybody was most positive on both commodities. Recall that? According to Garner, the same goes for stocks. And she's absolutely right. A bull market can't survive without bears because bears turning positive is what gives us the fuel to go higher. Once everybody's optimistic, there's no more room to run. 
and the same is true in the other direction. When enough investors have already reacted to a particular narrative, the trend exhausts itself and reverses, often when it's least expected. That's why Garner says it's important not to let an overwhelming public opinion interfere with your view of reality. Remember, when oil was at 120 last year, most analysts were calling for it to go to 150. There were even guys who were calling it to go to 200. Hardly anybody predicted oil was headed for the 60s, but that's exactly what happened. Whether we're talking about rallies or declines, eventually you run out of potential converts and the move loses steam. Garner believes that that's exactly what's happened already, already happened in the S&P 500. Only the bears just refuse to recognize it. Make no mistake. By all accounts, money managers are extremely negative right now. I want you to take a look at the weekly chart of the S&P futures with the CFTC's commitment of traders report data on the bottom. That's the COT report. The CFTC divides traders into three categories. Small speculators, meaning home gamers, large speculators, meaning money managers, and commercial hedgers who need to buy or sell the futures to protect their business. What we care about here are the money managers, the large speculators, and that's the line in green. Garner points out that even as the S&P 500 start rebounding from its lows, these money managers continue adding to their net short holdings on the way up and have maintained that position even as the market's consolidated. That flatly contradicts the widely held view that the market's recent strength comes from short covering. In fact, we've got a net short position of over 300,000 contracts in the S&P futures. This is right here. That's, you know, right here, see this? That's the largest net short position since 2007. Institutional money managers aren't just negative. They're, they're eve of the financial crisis negative. I think that's nuts. According to Garner, there have been three occasions when large speculators got nearly this negative with the S&P futures. Each time we got a nice short squeeze, then followed by a healthy long-term rally. All three of these rallies lasted for two years or more. Two years. So unless some historic financial debacle comes out of nowhere, Garner expects the stock market to experience a gradual push higher as these short sellers gradually throw in the towel and unwind their positions by buying back stock. See, what they do is that they're short futures, they have to buy the futures. If they're short stock, they have to buy stock. That's how they close out their position. It's not the only reason she's feeling positive. I want you to check out the monthly chart of the S&P 500. Now, this is going back two decades, okay? We're really going pretty far back here. Garner points out that the action over this period has created two trading channels with a common border. You can draw the resistance. Business line of the upper channel, the red line at the top, by connecting the late 90s high with the late 2021 high. Okay? The floor of support, the middle line in black, comes from connecting the pre-2007 financial crisis high with the various highs and lows we've seen since then. Okay? That floor marks the pivot line between these two trading channels. We broke out above that level in 2020, and it's proven to be a powerful floor of support ever since. In fact, Garner notes that we've yet to see a monthly close below this floor of support in the post-COVID period. For now, the floor of this trading channel stands at 3850, as long as we hold this level, as long as we hold above it. She thinks we can avoid a nasty market wipeout. Garner thinks it's much more likely that we get a monthly close above 4,170. That'd be a very big deal. That's the next hurdle to the upside. That's a pivot line that takes all the way back to 2011. It also coincides with the 20-month moving average. If we can break out above that moving average, she predicts a longer-term bull market that could emerge from the rubble. I'm with her. All at the same time, look at this relative strength index down here, okay? The RSI. This is an important momentum indicator. It's currently hovering near 50 with an upward trajectory, which tells Garner that the path of least resistance is higher. Longer term, she wouldn't be surprised if the S&P 500 can break out over 5,000. I'm not 
I don't know about that for me, but that could take a couple of years to play it to uh, play out. I just want to say that I think we can take out this level that a lot of the strategists say it's impossible. Now I want you to take a look at the shorter term chart of the S&P futures. Garner noticed that when you, you look at the hideous decline from the late 2021 high to the October 2022 low, it represents precisely a 50 percent retracement of the covid rally. It's very common for a rally to get hit with a 50 percent retracement before resuming its march higher. Although Garner says we can't truly confirm that until the S&P breaks through the next key Fibonacci level, which is around 4,300. So we've got to take that out. It's actually pretty far from here. It just doesn't look far, but it is far. Uh, once we clear that hurdle, then she thinks we're headed for new all-time highs. That's a little higher than the 4,170 hurdle from her trend line analysis, but it's the same idea. Now, if the S&P, take a look at this, if the S&P can clear 4,300, well, she thinks this kind of Fibonacci analysis suggests it could go to 4,500, which is where I think we could go, or 4,800, or potentially even 5,100. These are, these are just projections, people. Uh, that before this would run out of steam, she thinks we could get to that. The last one might seem crazy, and it's a little hard for me to go with, but given the widespread level of, of hysterical negativity, like 2007, Garner says it's probably more likely than you believe. Hey, one last point. 2023 is what we call pre-election year, the year before an election year. And according to the Stock Traders Almanac, pre-election years have given us an astounding, get this, average of 70% gain since 1949. I find that dispositive. On top of that, pre-election years after a midterm bear market like we had last year have given us an average gain of 20%. So despite all the negativity out there, Garner feeling real optimistic about the rest of the year, which is something that matters when we get these intraday sell-offs or a couple weeks sell-offs, or some stocks are down 10, 11, 12 days in a row. Bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Carly Garner tells us Wall Street remains incredibly negative on the stock market, and that negativity above all is what convinces us that we could have a lot more upside here. There just aren't that many bulls out there who could potentially turn bearish while there are still a ton of bears. Who could be kicked, who could be dragged, kicking and screaming into becoming bulls? I think she's got a great point. Absolutely something you need to be keeping in mind as earnings season unfolds. Let's go to Myron in Maryland. Myron. Hey, Kramer. I was calling this to ask if you thought at this point McDonald's was overrated or still a good stock to buy. Oh, I like that stock. I, I, that stock's got 300 written all over it, Myron. I got to tell you, it is best in show other than Chipotle, which I mentioned this morning. Uh, and my stop trading with Carl Quintanilla is another one I like. I like Chipotle and I like McDonald's. All right. The charts is interpreted by Carly Garner. It's just all the negativity on Wall Street could be setting the S&P 500 up for a big move higher. Much more made money. Prometheus soaring huge today as Merck announces it will buy the company for around $11 billion, even though there's almost no revenues. The CEOs behind the mega deal give us an exclusive appearance. Then I'm talking about Alphabet's existential crisis. Do you want to know about that? And then, of course, all your calls rapid fire on tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This 
speaking, we found out that Merck, the pharmaceutical titan, plans to acquire Prometheus Biosciences, a clinical stage biotech, for a cool $200 per share. That's nearly $11 billion. We've been watching Prometheus ever since they announced this amazing phase two data for their lead pipeline drug, a treatment for certain types of inflammatory bowel disease. That sent the stock soaring from the mid-30s to well above 100 in just a couple of days. Even though that run did make me nervous, I brought them on, figuring that, well, there's got to be more here. Sure enough, Merck's eager to expand its pipeline in order to diversify away from Keytruda. That's their fabulous successful anti-cancer drug that's coming up patent in five years. That and some fabulous phase two results from Prometheus were why they were willing to pay a 75% premium for this thing. Now, my colleague David Faber reported today that there were multiple bidders, and even as this company has almost no revenues to speak of, I think it will end up being one of the greatest acquisitions in pharma history. So let's take a closer look with Rob Davis. He's the chairman and CEO of Merck, and Mark McGenna is the chairman and CEO of Prometheus Biosciences. Gentlemen, congratulations on the steal. Welcome to Mad Money. Yeah, right. Thanks Thank for having us, Jim. Well, I'm going to go to Mark first, because sure. it is such an exciting day. When I saw you last time, I have to, I, I, I didn't know how big. There are. This is not a one single target. This is all of immunology could be in play here. Just talk about what it was like to get the call. I know there were several companies that were interested, but why this thing could be as big as people are talking about, even though you don't have a lot of revenue. Yeah, look, Jim, this is a, a great day for patients. When you think about um, you know, the 5 million patients globally that are struggling with inflammatory bowel disease, there's incredible unmet need here. And as we talked about on the last time I was on the show, um, there's a lot of uh, therapies out there today. The problem is all those therapies are still delivering suboptimal efficacy for these patients. We can do better for them. And yes, the data that we presented back in de- December shows a new watermark in terms of efficacy. Um, so we're you know, just thrilled for what this can mean for not only IBD, but well beyond IBD. And I think that the acquisition by Merck will allow us to get this into more patients faster. And so I'm thrilled to, to work with Rob and, and to make sure that this um, gets in the hands of patients as fast as possible. Now, Rob, we want everyone to understand this is not one drug. This is a platform that could extend far beyond what we've currently even yeah. seen phase two results for. Can you talk about the notion of just kind of maybe this could be the pillar of science for millions of people? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting. I would liken it to what we did in immuno-oncology where we introduced the concept of biomarkers to allow you to enhance patient identification and ultimately in, uh, enhance patient outcome. We're looking to do the same thing here. And one of the things that really attracted us to, to Prometheus was the fact that they had the, the Prometheus 360 biobank. And just to give a sense of what this is, it's basically over 200,000 tissue samples across 20,000 patients who have suffered from IBD, and it allows you to look at the genetics and match the genetic markers to the disease, which allows us to do better jobs of picking patients and driving how we prioritize and ultimately study and bring new therapies forward. So we see that that database as something that is gonna go well beyond just what we have with the asset we have here, but actually to bring a new generation of products forward and ultimately, hopefully, give better care to patients. No. Uh, irritable bowel disease is big. It's a, a terrible and it's a big, il- a big illness and a lot of indications. But there's a slew of problems that are autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that there can be multiple trials for multiple autoimmune diseases? So right now we're focusing first in ulcerative colitis and in Crohn's, but longer term, uh, we are open to looking for, for broader indications because as you know, across immunology and as you're looking at inflammatory disease, it often does reach across. You think about uh, a whole host of other diseases that people will face. So yes, we are thinking about that. 
and then really trying to complement the pipeline we have of internal assets beyond what we're getting here that will play across the broad spectrum of immunology. Mark, I want to point, maybe you can just explain to our viewers, you, yes, you have better efficacy, but there's also just terrible side effects and dangerous, I mean, life-threatening side effects, some of the others. So far, you have been blessed without that side effect for, uh, portfolio. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, it's, a, it's an important combination. High efficacy and, and a safe profile that allows you to go much beyond where we are today, where the field is today. Heart issues. Heart issues, yeah. And it goes, you know, into cancer and and other issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're we're very impressed with the profile. Clearly, we need to continue to validate this in in phase threes. But I would just say that if you're looking to to maximize the value and go into other indications, you want a safe, clean profile. Um, And you also want to think about uh, combination therapy. That's where the market's going to go in the future. And this is an anchor opportunity for, for Rob and his team to build uh, a best-in-class immunology portfolio. Now, are you at liberty to talk about how many bidders there were or what, who else was involved, major pharma, presumably? Uh, I can't comment on that. It'll come out in the proxy. I'll just say that, um, you know, there's clearly a lot of interest in what we're doing. Um, we remain focused on, you know, getting this to patients as fast as we can. All right. Now let's talk about Cedar sinai You, you have sure. that great da- database. Uh, if someone wants to be in a trial, because I think we all know people, uh, phase three, do they have to be at Cedar sinai Is it going to be nationwide? How's it going to work? Yeah, no, so the, the Cedar sinai is the origins of the database, right. but the, the uh, clinical trial itself is being hosted across multiple sites. And as we're looking at thinking about the phase three, and obviously until the deal's finally consummated, it'll be up to uh, Prometheus to continue to to move from phase two into phase three. But as you look at it, the goal would be to replicate the phase two clinical sites, the phase two approach into phase three, because that gives you the highest probability of replicating the the really stellar results we got in the phase two. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. I know that Cedar Sinai is a big investor, but I just want everyone. I don't want to, no false hope, no false hope, because we all know how critical these are, but it would be amazing. Now, uh, uh, you know, Mark, this weekend, there was a lot of talk about about generative AI and stuff. And there were a lot of people talking about worries about how it could be misused versus playing chess. I mean, isn't machine learning, isn't this about how we solve these diseases? Isn't this where we get this kind of iterative analysis? Yeah, to me, it's not just about the data. The data is the first part. It's the insight that comes from the data that allows you to, to really truly understand the disease drivers of each of these patients. Um, inflammatory bowel disease is a heterogeneous disease. And um, not everyone's disease is driven by one particular pathway or disease driver. And so I think that the data set that we have, it's different than other data sets that are out there. Why? Because to Rob's point, 200,000 patients, uh, 20,000 patients, 200,000 samples. So you've got omics and you have samples and you have clinical data. And through that, that, the, that treasure trove of information is how you, with AI, how you get to novel targets and biomarkers. Right. Okay, so Rob, I, you know, I was putting pen to paper. I was thinking, okay, let's see, you've got Rinvoke and, and Skyrizi from AbbVie, you've got your mirror. And I actually came up with a number that indicated that there could be $21 billion in revenues. Now, you can tell me, Jim, it could be half of that. You can bring me back to size of this. <laughs> but isn't it just huge? Well, it, yeah, I mean, as we look at this and you think about the number of patients facing, just take the United States alone, 2 million patients with UC and Crohn's disease, about one million of that would be moderate to severe. So you're looking at a large population. As we see this, this is a multi-billion dollar opportunity in both UC okay. and Crohn's disease. I don't want to, you know, uh, 
script it too much because obviously no, we no, want to see. But as we see this, it is meaningful and beyond, as we've said. And I think what you know, the excitement that Mark is sharing about the platform beyond what we have with PRA 023, which is the lead right. asset, it's what we can do in discovery and development for the follow-on assets that has us also very excited. Now, I just, I think the key trader franchise we've talked to endlessly is amazing. There are talk about, I know from Stefan Brinsel and Moderna, that there's hope for cancer vaccines. Some people felt that the results they had this, this today was disappointing. I'm looking at that as just a step function to where you have to go. Uh, am I too bullish again? I don't want to be too bullish because I don't want to give anybody false hope, but those of us who have lost people to these illnesses know yeah. that hope is, if you, there's anything, it's yeah. good news. Well, you know, obviously there were some questions, but I think overall people did focus on the fact that if you think about what Keytruda did, so Keytruda for people with melanoma, 43% reduction alone when you put someone on Keytruda versus not being on Keytruda. This using now we've, we're calling it an individualized angiogenic uh, um, um, therapy because really it's not a vaccine in the traditional sense, but, but using this approach, we get a further 44% improvement in, in recurrence-free survival. So, you know, we need to do the phase three study. Right. Um, we continue to be confident. We've studied this very closely. I can tell you we're very confident as we move into phase three, and we're continuing to look at going broader into other tumor types than just melanoma. Okay. So our confidence, and we've been looking at this data for a while, is, is quite high. Okay, and understand that we're talking to conservative people, not people who are trying to pump anything up. Two conservative gentlemen. That's one of the reasons why I love these guys. Rob Davis, Chairman and CEO of Merck, and Mark McKenna, Chairman and CEO of Prometheus Biosciences. Gentlemen, congratulations. May have money be back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Crazy, but let's start with Al in Arizona. Al. Hey, Jim. Big booyah from uh, Chandler, Arizona. Fantastic. What? I watch Squawk on the Street every morning. I love you guys. Hey, my oh, stock is CG Therapeutics. Okay, that's Mike Weiss. That's Mike Weiss. 10. I remember. I like the stock. It's got a lot of anti-cancer. It reminds me, of course, when you see something like what happened Prometheus today, people say, oh, that could be in the next one because it's critical stage. Mike Weiss is a hitter. I remember him from the days when he was an analyst. Let's go to Ryan, Indiana. Ryan. Hi, Jim. Ryan. First off, thanks for your help all these years of mad money. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Tonight, I'd like to know your thoughts on Celanese versus Eastman Chemical. Well, I don't know Celanese as much as I know Eastman Chemicals. I sat down, we had the M1. M1. Now, they just, look, they're a commodity chemical company. They do a lot of recycling. Boy, CNBC.com is a fabulous piece about how difficult it is to actually get recycled plastic. Made me feel very negative about the group. Got to point that out. It's a really good piece. I found it on Twitter. That's how I scrolled and found it. Let's go to Mick in Pennsylvania. Mick! Jim, booyah Monday. Booyah Monday? Yeah, Monday afternoon. Sure, what's up? Uh, Appian, APPN. Uh, I mean, I hate the enterprise. I should no. I dislike the enterprise software companies that are in fintech. There's too many of them, and Appian is just one of many. It just doesn't do it for me. I'm sorry. How about Jared in Colorado? Jared, what's happening, Jim? It's nice talking to you again. Oh, I'm good to talk to you, Jared. What's going on? 
All right, all man. All right. This company has to be number one in sports apparel in the world. What are your thoughts on Nike? N-K-E. I, Nike, it's number one, number one on sports apparel in the world. I like Nike very much. I like their Chinese business. I like management. I just, I, we don't see eye to eye anymore. We used to talk all the time, but what can you do? I am thinking about going to, uh, I don't know, who's the other guy? So on. I'm going to go to on. If I can learn how to pronounce on, I am going to be a buyer of on. Let's go to Richard in New York. Richard. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Richard. Thanks for all of your wisdom and insights. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. I got to tell you, though, I'm in awe of the immense processing capabilities of your mind. Oh, Not to man. mention okay. your ability to make sense of it all for the rest of us. Wow, thank you, Richard. Thank you. I mean, my, you know, my brain is, is a double and Okay, so BA worries me. I'll tell you why. I felt that I felt it was worth more than 12 points. We don't know how long this new thing is going to be, this most recent screw-up. And I'm using the term screw-up. It's not really them, but it's a division. They used to own the company that, that, that made this mistake. I just think the FAA is going to really hang them. So I say, as much as I think that there's only two players and therefore you have to win, you got to stay away from Boeing for now. I'm, I'm a little bummed that I have to say that, but i got to say it. Let's go to Billy. And thank you for those kind comments. Holy cow, I'm high as a kite on those. Let's go to Billy in Texas, please. Billy. Hello, Jim. Billy. Thank you for taking the call. Uh, SYM, Symbotic. I'm new to investing, and I was looking over this one. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? This thing, it, it's mind-boggling because it's exactly the opposite of what it should be doing. I thought it should be going down, and it goes up, and I'm going to have to go with Ben Stoto and do a little work on this one because I don't know why Symbiotic is doing that well. It's actually Symbiotic, by the way. Don't call it Symbiotic. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Alphabet and the Extinction Level event. Kramer explains next. Here's a word you never want to hear in association with one of your investments, existential, as in the company has an existential crisis on its hands. You don't want to own a stock in a company that may have lost its reason for being. Unfortunately, that's how I feel right now about Alphabet, which we own for the Travel Trust. I've loved this one from the very day it came public as Google. I know existential is a college word. Maybe you need to look it up. But what I'm worried about right now is that you might look it up on Bing, not Google. That's an existential issue. Yep, we're hearing tales that Samsung, a major partner of Google with its phones, has apparently mold switching to Microsoft's Bing as its default search engine, which could be devastating for Alphabet. These guys have dominated search for nearly 20 years. If they finally begun to have real competition for traffic from the one storm at Microsoft of all places, then their gross margins are headed lower. Now, when I watched 60 Minutes this weekend and heard Alphabet CEO Sundar Pichai talk about artificial intelligence, oh, he came off as well-versed in the pros and cons of the products. Existential. No, he was kind of business-like. But why 60 Minutes? Why bother? Pichai's the most reclusive of the big tech CEOs. He's putting himself out there to talk about AI now because I, I believe he's just trying to point out, hey, we're doing this, we're in this, we're in this. 
That's technically true, but if Alphabet's been on this for years, how come they never came up with something like ChatGPT? Why weren't they ahead of, of, of OpenAI, the newfound Microsoft ally, and recognized the potential generative artificial intelligence? By the way, OpenAI was one of the first companies to partner with NVIDIA, which makes the technology that powers all of this stuff. Why didn't Google become one of the first partners of NVIDIA? Of course, you could say that about a bunch of tech firms, including Amazon, which seems to be behind on the AI front, although it's been on catching up. I think Meta may end up shocking us with its own AI offerings that are in the works. But the thing is, it's Google that has the most to lose here because the technology is so closely related to search. And that's why Bing is suddenly being taken seriously after years where it was easier to forget it exists. That said, this is Alphabet, so it's capable of coming up with some pretty great stuff. Maybe they can catch up, but there are plenty of other reasons to be worried. You have a very smart antitrust division over at the Justice Department, and these guys want Alphabet to be on only one side of the ad market. Right now, they're on both sides, which has been a huge profit center. If justice gets its way, they'll lose a big chunk of change. At the same time, Alphabet has all these miscellaneous other bets that they've spent a fortune on, even as they don't appear to be going anywhere. Hey, there are healthcare care that seem to amount to nothing repeatedly. They paid $2.1 billion for Fitbit. Why? I don't even know how much they've lost on Waymo, the self-driving car division. None of this has really mattered, though, to the stock because the search business is so lucrative. But if those ad dollars start being split between Google and Bing, then it simply isn't the same company. I always thought that the reason why they renamed Google Alpha was because there was so much more than just Google search. And they got some compelling cloud, cloud infrastructure business, not to mention YouTube. But we don't want this once great company to be outflanked by anybody in its core search business because if the big ad dollars vanish and the huge contracts disappear, then that absolutely is an existential crisis. We certainly don't feel like waiting around until it's solved for the charitable trust, and that's assuming it can be solved at all. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.